internet marketing has been around since, well, the internet. And we've been told for years that marketing analytics is really important and that you should be focusing on it. But when we get these reports, we tend to look at them and say, yeah, that's great. But what do those next steps look like? And how do we make these reports actionable? That's our main topic as we welcome you into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Brimley. And on this show, we cover B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And we're going to be diving into how to make those marketing reports actionable. And then also on the show, we are going to be talking to Sarah Graham. She is the Director of Operations over at NFI Industries. She's going to be telling us how she got started over on TikTok, giving out broker advice, aka Talk. So if you're on TikTok, be sure to give her a follow for a little bit of insight onto what we're going to be covering in today's interview. And then we're also going to be talking to Karen Stevens. She is the Executive Vice President, Chief Marketing and Product over at Overhaul. And she's telling us about cargo crime, risk risk mitigation, and more. So I'm excited to dive into both of those two topics. And then we're going to cap off the show. Hopefully we have time to start up a new segment for Q&A. That's right. Listeners or viewers, fans of Cyberly, we have marketing questions, website questions, submit them, and then I will do my best to get them answered in future shows and in future content. But as we led off with the show on talking about marketing analytics, it's just, it's it's really sort of the current landscape that we find ourselves in is almost in a marketing tools and data overload. We're supposed to use data when we get these marketing analytics reports in order to take a nuanced approach and take that next step when it comes to our marketing and, and, and how do we make those next steps. And just when I thought I had it all figured out, then comes Google Analytics with telling everyone about how you've got to get upgraded from Universal Analytics over to Google Analytics 4. So this is how I'm thinking about that process. Because firstly, the, the reason that this movement is taking place, because I should give, well, let me back up a minute because I should give a little bit of backstory. Uh, for the better part of the last 10 years, Google Analytics, probably more than 10 years, Google Analytics has been a staple when it comes to monitoring your website traffic. And universal analytics has been a thing for a while. This is a little snippet of code that you put on your website and it tells you, you know, your bounce rate, how many people come to your site, what pages that they like the most, uh, data like that. But with growing privacy concerns and privacy regulations that have been coming into the mix, it's creating a situation where Google now has to scrap the entire analytics program that they've had for years in order to rebuild essentially their entire analytics software offering. Now, keep in mind, this is free. This is not like other platforms where you, you have to, they, they do have a paid version, but the free version is more than enough of, of what you need. So Google Analytics 4 is here and designed in order to help you take advantage of marketing reports, attribution, where your visitors are coming from, making intelligent data decisions. But it's here because of all of those different privacy regulations. Over in Europe, we have GDPR that's been around for quite a while, where if you're not actively monitoring how your data collection and how visitors are arriving to your site, if they're choosing to say no on the, the cookie pop-up, how are you managing those users? Are you removing that data from your system? If you're not removing it from the system, then you could pay a, a, an enormous amount of fines. It's much more strict over in Europe, go figure, than it is in the US as far as data collection. But more US states are starting to take this more seriously. California has had their 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 Privacy Act 
integrated for a while now. Colorado and a few other states are starting to draft up their own legislation. So it's becoming increasingly challenging because the last thing you want is all of these different states having their own privacy laws. And there's no streamlined approach because for a while, if you were collecting data, if you were a US-based publisher, for example, and you were collecting data and, and serving up news articles for a European audience, a lot of these sites had to just completely shut down and turn off their 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 European audience because they weren't going to be able to fall within the GDPR guidelines. So now what we have is a situation where we have GDPR over in Europe, and then we also have several different states in, in the US that are coming up with their own privacy laws. So that's why Google said, all right, we got to get rid of our entire analytic software offering, and we got to come up with something new because the, the current system is just not going to work. So Google is, ma is making it mandatory for you to upgrade your analytics within a year. So if you start right now by adding... Google Analytics 4 to your website, then you can start the earlier, the better you can start collecting that data and start making these actionable decisions. It's very, very important. It's free. It takes probably five, 10 minutes to do. If you don't know how to do it, hire a developer in order to take care of it for you. Keep the old analytics code on your website so you can still collect that data and have a historical reference to look back to. But on that looking at the forward thinking side of things, you really need to get Google Analytics 4 installed on your site. But now that we've sort of covered the basics of why this big change is happening and what you need to do about it, now let's take it to that next step further because with data privacy and, and with all of the different concerns that are going on in the world, it really sort of takes us to a place where we have to sort of rethink how we approach marketing in general. The last two years, buying patterns have changed and, and, and how we market to folks in a, a I guess, a quote unquote post-COVID world has completely changed as well. So we're now that we're getting these reports, we need to take some time to actually sort of clean the slate and figure out of what steps we need to take after we start getting these new insights in this new report. So if you're still using old analytics, if you're still using universal analytics, which I, I imagine the overwhelming majority of you are, this is that next step of what you want to take and what you want to prioritize as far as data collection in order to make it actionable. First of all, you want to make sure that if you have any kind of goals or events installed or, in, or created on your universal analytics, you want to make sure that you move those over as conversion analytics in G4. I'm just going to refer to it as G4 because if I say analytics one more time, I feel like my brain is just going to explode. But an events and goals in Google Analytics G4 is are things that you're monitoring, such as key page visits, um, uh, podcast downloads, video plays. You can attach a little bit of code around these events on your website in order to track how users are ultimately arriving and ultimately engaging with the website itself. So if you have any of those key features on your website, you can put that little snippet of code around there and track how many people are playing this video that's you know on, on the, the homepage of our website? Are people playing it all the way through to completion? Are they pausing it halfway through? Same thing with the podcast, same thing with other key landing pages on your site. So those are all different you know, events and goals. And if you don't know much about events and goals, I highly suggest that, that you look into them because it's probably the most uh, clear sense of data that you can have on what the action, the ideal action you want a user to take whenever they arrive on your website.
And so make sure that you have that installed, make sure you're collecting that data. And then also you're going to have to go through the steps of reconnecting Google Search Console. I believe that Google Search Console gives me way better insights. If you're looking at the screen right now, you kind of see some of the, the content marketing insights that, that, that Google Search Console will give you. And if you connect Search Console, which is completely separate, you have to verify your domain with Search Console. You have to then reconnect it to your Google Analytics account. So make sure that you're reconnecting those. Now is a good time, if you don't have any of this set up, to go ahead and get that set up. So then that way you can start fresh in this, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, current privacy world that we live in. I don't want to call it post-privacy because we really don't have any of that right now. Um, but you can at least be prepared for all of these different changes that are taking place. I, you know, a Apple iPhones, for example, uh, late last year, whenever they launched, the, they, they closed down access to third-party data. And now you get that pop-up whenever you download a new app that says, are you comfortable with this app tracking you, you know, across other apps? And nine times out of 10, you're hitting no, I don't want you to track me across multiple different apps and multiple different devices. So this is where, this is why all of these things are taking place is because of all of these, the death of the third-party cookie and how you have to prioritize collecting first-party data, which means the people that are coming to your site and you're collecting that sort of insight. So Google Search Console, G4. So you want to make sure you have both of those integrated. And then once you have both of those integrated and you have those set up, then the next step you want to take is simplifying the data that you're actually going to be looking at. So the way that I think about this is that I have a spreadsheet that I use and I measure it by quarter. So Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And with Google Analytics in particular, I will take the key pages. So your homepage, um, your, it could be your book a demo page. It could be a book a meeting page. It could be an application page. All of these different pages, th this is what you want to track. You want to track how many people are coming to the page or is it trending up or is it trending down? You also want to place an event or goal around the scroll depth. So the scroll depth, meaning at least 50%. So if folks are arriving on the page and then they're scrolling at least 50% all the way through, either all the way through or at least 50%, because then that can give you some insight into how your copy is on that page itself. Is it clear? Is it is it beneficial to the user? All of these questions you can be you can be answering if you start collecting this data from this lens. So scroll depth of at least 50% on a key landing page. Are your landing page visits, are they trending up or down on those key pages. I also really like Microsoft's Clarity tool. It's another one of those. If you're in the, the business of upgrading your analytics and verifying your domain in Google Search Console, you might as well add Microsoft's Clarity tool as well. And one of the really cool things about Microsoft Clarity is that they have a product similar to the product called Hotjar. Hotjar is one of those heat mapping tools that you can see how visitors are scrolling on your site where certain parts of your website uh, are, are more red than other parts of the site. So that's why they call it sort of like a heat map. So you can see when users arrive to your site, what kind of behaviors are they taking? And so you can see the heat map, which is similar to Hotjar, but it's free with Microsoft Clarity. So um, I would highly, highly recommend that part of it. But then there's also one extra part of Microsoft Clarity that I haven't seen really with any other analytics program, but it's called Rage Clicks. And you can monitor how people are arriving to your site 
And then the areas of the site or on the landing page of where they're clicking that they think that the visitor thinks should be a link to another page. So this can kind of give you insight into, you know, if somebody is repeatedly clicking on a, a graphic or an element that you have on your site, then it could be a good situation for you to look at those rage clicks that are taking place. And if they're taking place in a significant way compared to, you know, other areas of that page, then that's a good indicator of where you need to add a link to more information. Either if you have that information already on your website or if it's one of those things where you got to create that information and then add that link to that particular part of the page. Uh, for example, I, I have a section on my website where I have three little boxes that are sort of explainers. And by using the Microsoft Clarity tool, I was able to see that people were clicking on those little boxes, thinking that it was a link to another page. And that was the signal to me that I need to make content around those three little boxes. So the interested folks who want to read more that they're clicking on it and it's taking them to a new page instead of a rage click where they're just clicking a hundred times. And you know that you, you probably all have done it before, but how you're going to, to be creating content around those rage clicks. So that's another one. And then website forms, you want to also monitor so this is, this is how I think about it. So your demo and your meeting forms that are on your website, if you don't have them, you need to add them as soon as possible. Make it easy for folks who are coming to your brand and coming to your website in order to book a meeting if they're interested. And so it's a, it's a no-brainer to me. These are probably one of the top tier pages that are on your site. It needs to be separate from a contact us because a contact us page is just a general inquiry reach out. Targeted landing pages that are built around the demo or are built around talking to somebody in sales, that is a huge plus and a huge missed opportunity that I see taking place on a lot of different freight websites. So having that book a meeting capability right on your website. And then you want to compare the amount of people that have submitted requests in order to book a demo or a meeting. And then what's that number compared to the goal that you're setting? And then how does that goal relate to, or, or how does it compare to previous months? Is it trending up? Is it trending down? If it's trending down, there's probably some changes that you need to be making on those landing pages in order to tweak them a little bit, because that's what kind of insight that you need to be looking at. The actions that people are taking, not only when they get to your site, but then once they actually fill out a form or if they don't fill out a form or if they don't follow you on social media, all of these different things that you can be optimizing the visitor journey for because you're doing, you're likely doing all of this hard work by talking to different customers, talking to prospects, you know, sharing awareness on social media about your brand. And when they arrive to your site, you want to make sure that that pathway to conversion is as simple as possible. You're not, you know, having a lot of incidents where there's rage clicks. And then you're also making sure that that, that pathway is very, very smooth for that potential prospect to become a potential customer. Also, I've preached about this plenty of times before on previous shows, but adding all of your forms on your site, adding a required field, uh, a free text field that says, how did you hear about us? You don't want to drop down because you don't want to suggest different topics um, or, or different traffic sources such as LinkedIn or TikTok or, or Instagram or any of these other platforms, maybe a referral. You don't want to hint towards it. You want it to be a free text required field because that's where you get the really crispy stuff, the really juicy insights of how your marketing is really working. Attribution reports and attribution software, analytics software will tell you one thing, but the visitors that come to your site 
will give you much more, you know, sort of targeted information. You know, I, you know, XYZ told me at, you know, this truck stop that, that you were a good company to work for, or, you know, I had, you know, successful relationship with this person and they referred me to your, your brokerage. It's all of these different things that you're getting those kind of insights from the form. So add, how did you hear about us? It's simple, it's free, and it's one of the best things that you can do to add, you know, greater insight to your marketing mix because knowing all of those things, knowing how your homepage and your key pages are trending up or trending down, how those resulting in forms being filled out, and then the ultimate result of how did you hear about us? All of those different decision-making points can really help you as far as where you're going to spend your time and your budget and your energy when it comes to the rest of your marketing. Uh, I cannot recommend those three different things enough and making sure that you have the analytics set up properly so that you're collecting that data and then honing in on what data is the most important that you could actually take action from. And it's those things. So then separately from this, what I also wanted to mention is if you're already creating content online, I've mentioned Google Console or Google Search Console already. It is hands down one of the best ways to find out you know, who is seeing your website on search, if they're clicking through or if they're not. There are certain phrases, certain pages on your site that could be getting thousands and thousands of impressions, but they have a low click-through rate. That is 100% an easy win, low-hanging fruit in order to take advantage of that different insight. And then also, lastly, I do want to mention that um, as far as like social media analytics, because that deserves just a, a show in and of itself. But one tool that I did want to mention that has kind of changed my life when it comes to LinkedIn is Shield Analytics. Shield Analytics gives you personal account uh, insight into what's performing well and what isn't performing well. If you're looking at a, a screenshot that's on the screen right now, there's a list of, I've already signed up for Shield Analytics. They're not paying me to say this. I actually pay them for this software, but it lets me know all of the different posts that are the most impactful on my personal LinkedIn. It makes a huge difference because the majority of analytics tools that are out here, they only monitor the business page from LinkedIn. They don't monitor the personal page. And the personal page is where you often have the most bang for your buck. You have the, the greatest organic reach when it comes to your personal accounts and your personal LinkedIn page, not so much with your business page. So a lot of those analytics tools will tell you about your business page, but Shield Analytics will tell you about your personal page. That's the only thing that they do is your personal page uh, LinkedIn. It's very affordable. I think it's like 200 bucks for the entire year. So if that can help you make more, you know, educated decisions on what kind of content is working well on your personal LinkedIn, then that's going to just continue driving home that ship of creating greater brand awareness, having those visitors arrive to your site, collecting that insight on that first party data on how they're interacting with your brand. And then ultimately, hopefully filling out a form and telling you exactly how they heard about you, whether it was podcast, maybe you as an interview on freight waves, or maybe it was a variety of different things. But that those are the pathways to make analytics actionable. We don't want to overwhelm ourselves with too much data, but knowing how things are trending up or down on our key pages, and then ultimately how that traffic is converting or not converting into folks that are actually filling out a form on the website will have you light years ahead and in order to make those decisions, those next step decisions on what you need to add to your website, to add to your social media marketing mix and all that good stuff. So 
I know it's probably a lot of information, but it's one of those things where you you really need to get a hold of it as soon as possible. And if that Google Analytics 4 deadline is is uh, any indicator, you have less than a year in order to get this set up. So the sooner you can start collecting that first party data, the better. Uh, right now, speaking of taking action online and sharing content with people that actually want to see your content. Let's go ahead and welcome in our first guest, Sarah. She is the Director of Operations over at NFI Industries, also known as Logistox on over on TikTok. Um, she's one of my favorite accounts to follow over there. I learn so much every time I, I watch her content. So let's go ahead and bring her in. Welcome in, Sarah. <laughs> Hey, I've just been uh, rage clicking back here, you know, waiting for, for my my time to be on camera. I, I've never heard that term before, but I want to I want to incorporate it into every hashtag I post from now on. Right. I mean, you think you hear that phrase and you think it means so many other things, but it's you're just watching recordings of people on your website just furiously clicking after something. So I think it's it's kind of funny to watch. Um, so folks ha who haven't heard of it, you should 100% add it to your website. And it's a free tool, so you can't go wrong with that. Now, now, Sarah, I, I have followed your work for a while over on TikTok. And, and like I said, just a, a few minutes ago that I, I, I learned so much every time I see one of your TikToks. But, but for folks who, who may not follow you, who may not know about you, can you give us a little bit of background on who Sarah is and, and, and how you came to work in the logistics industry? Sure. Um, so, you know, I came into logistics in, in 2009. Uh, I had just graduated college. I was looking for a sales position and I ended up... Uh, you know, there wasn't there wasn't really this push for supply chain majors at that time frame, right? That's kind of been a, a relatively new interest and and you know sexy field that people are getting into that that wasn't in in two thousand nine. Um, and I applied for a job at C. H. Robinson, you know, the largest uh, freight brokerage in in North America, and I ended up working there for six years or maybe seven years. Um, and after that, I, you know, I've now been at NFI for six or seven years and, and moved into a major, you know, a, a plethora of, of different roles within the logistics field. Um, and, you know, with, with the pandemic and, and TikTok on the rise, I actually wanted uh, to continue to develop myself and, and my ability to learn in a kind of novel way. Um, and so, uh, you know, communication is incredibly important in, in transportation, uh, because a lot of, uh, brokerage relationships, transportation relationships are really dependent on your ability to communicate, convey a message, convey that you can, you can execute on uh, and deliver on a promise. And so I had always worked on, on writing skills and something that I really wanted to hone on was, uh, was kind of verbal communication, right? Um, especially on camera, which is is actually way scarier than just in person and stuff. I, I actually am, I'm very bad in, in front of a camera. You you might not think that from my logistics videos, but people have called me out for for seeming um, I don't know in a bad mood sometimes. Um, but mainly it's just it's just you know stage fright. Um, and so you know I created this account one because. Uh, I thought Logistics was a really perfect name for a TikTok account, um, and I really wanted to take advantage of that. Uh, two, I wanted an avenue to continue learning and then learning how to regurgitate that information and knowledge in a way that was that I wanted to see if it was interesting to other folks. And three, mm -hmm. um, 
to really build legitimacy uh, through a platform that's not really taken advantage of, um, right? I mean, I could have started posting on LinkedIn and had three views and a, a couple likes, right? But TikTok, um, right, you, there's not a lot of control necessarily on who sees your content um, mm. and where it goes. And so it becomes its own monster. Um, and so that has been exciting and interesting to see. And so, you know, from that building a, a group of followers, um, obviously I've built a really small, small following, small name for myself. Oh, no way. Um, <laughs> it's pretty small. It's pretty small. No, it, it it's definitely, I mean, I, you are one of the few brokers that I know of on TikTok. And I think you're the most successful broker out of any, any brokers that I know. So you're obviously, you're, you're doing a good job. Um, so, but I, I also wonder, was there any like hesitancy of getting on TikTok at first, even from like the, the, the company standpoint, because you work for NFI and they also have a TikTok account now. So I kind of almost wonder like, were they scared of you getting on TikTok and, and maybe, you know, sharing a message or were they all for it? No. So, you know, again, I also, I, uh, again, this like feeling of it being more private to develop legitimacy. Mm -hmm. I'm often one of those people who don't like to, you know, a lot of people gain, um, they love to say something that they're working on. And I love to say something that I'm working on that I've started to garner success on, right? Because that's momentum. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really drives you to actually finish a project. A lot of people like to tell about projects that they're working on that they might not even ever start. So, you know, I, I wanted to build up a following and, you know, I'm actually in our corporate building. Marketing is on the other side of this wall, basically. Um, and, you know, I had, they had had a, like a, a discussion internally about, you know, before they released their TikTok account, like, how can we, how can we create, you know, TikTok uh, for NFI, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and they've done, they've built a really interesting platform there as well. Um, but I, I didn't really hide it. Um, hmm. But I also don't advertise it either. Um, unless something like really cool happened from it, like I got a new customer, but that hasn't happened yet. That's been one of my goals. But, um, I, you know, a lot of, Go ahead. Sorry. I, oh, I was going to say that that's actually my next question is because a lot of people, especially when it comes to brokerage, they're they're wondering, well, what's going to be the ROI of this? And I think ROI is different for every company when they start their con their content marketing journey. I mean, ultimately, you do want customers to come out of it. But, but what's been sort of the ROI for you? Is it being able to share expertise? Is it sharing that education with, you know, your current customers? And maybe that develops and helps for future customers, what does the ROI look like for you? Well, I love learning from other folks. You mm -hmm. know, I think it's really interesting the the comments that I see. I think the majority of my followers are frontline truck drivers, which I think is a really interesting, you know, I think they rely on information that I give them in terms of the market. Obviously, if I say the market's really good for truck drivers, I'm, I'm going to get a, a lot of views. If I said it was really negative, they'd be like, get out of here and go back on your yacht, you broker. You know, it's just, it's so funny. <laughs> like there's so many mis, you know, there's so many misconceptions and there's, you know, there's always been this like con uh, contentious relationship between brokers and truck drivers. And, and really they're, they're very much dependent relationships on each other. And so, you know, the, you know, I just like, I like learning what's going on in the market. Um, and I like that, that interaction. And I, I think, 
I think some of the the most powerful responses that I've gotten, and again, I I only added my LinkedIn profile to my account as soon as I got to 10,000 viewers. Because again, Mm. you know, I wanted there to be legitimacy behind my account before I opened it up to more public accounts for myself. True. Um, Because again, uh, for me, it's about, you know, not just being on a platform and saying hello, but like, can I be successful at this before I broadcast this to others? Um, And so, you know, I think part of um, why I'm also so recognizable, right, is that there isn't a ton of visibility for women in logistics, transportation, mm-hmm. brokerages. And so, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from folks who are like, I was so surprised to see someone who looks like me or to see a woman talking about these things. Like, I've never seen that. And thank you for the work that you do. So that has always um, been been really nice to hear. Um, although, you know, occasionally I... I, I get men in my comments who who stand up for me. I've had I've had, literally had like two people who who've made fun of my haircuts in comments, and I'm just like, we both know I have an amazing haircut. So <laughs> I don't I don't know who you're trying to convince of that. Right. I think it's just more of the the when you reach a certain level of success on social media, those just negative comments, like they're just going to come in, but that's got to feel so good to have your followers like back you up and do the arguing for you. Uh, I I imagine that's got to be a really good feeling, but I also really like the approach that you took that you want to build this authentically first before you start sharing it with a ton of other people. Cause I think that that's what a bigger mistake that folks make on other social media platforms where you know, say if you have a new LinkedIn post and you want, you send it to all your friends and family and you're like, go like this post, please, because it'll help the algorithm. When in reality, that's not teaching you anything. You're not really learning how to build if it's just your friends and family that are going to be liking your content. They're probably not in your target audience anyways. So I really think that that was smart to sort of build, you know, independently first and then start branching out into other social media platforms. Now, I, I imagine that your content is great for like educational purposes and, and and especially from you know that that broker lens. Do you have any advice for brokers that are wanting to get their message out, but they're not exactly sure where to start? Is TikTok the place to start or is it LinkedIn or or what what advice would you give to a broker that, that wants to start sharing their perspective and their insight? I guess it depends on what their uh their end message is, what's their goal from, from that? Is it, is it just a personal, uh, is it a personal validation thing of, I want my voice to be heard, right? Like a, a man in a podcast, who knows, right? Like, I I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has a need or has an interest in, in wanting to be heard. And, you know, so I think if new brokers uh, are looking for a platform to use, yeah, I mean, I think TikTok is for everyone. I think that's the point of TikTok. TikTok is so niche. You really have no idea how how deep some of these rabbit holes go until you start exploring them. And some of them are obviously bad, but a lot of them are great. Um, and you find different fans in different areas. And and I think, you know, people will over time move, move away from delegitimizing TikTok as, as just this um, teenage tool for social media. And, you know, I think it will be a great way to transition for, for lots of different companies in order to advertise on behalf of what they're doing, what they believe, what they think. Um, because, you know, I don't necessarily think in my own personal opinion, I don't necessarily think LinkedIn 
will be able to suffice in that kind of way. It doesn't have as much traction. Um, it doesn't have as uh, different kinds of audiences that you can reach accidentally. Um, so I just think the breadth of the amount of folks who are who are on uh, TikTok just really lends to a unique experience um, that you know can be reimagined in, in lots of different ways. Yeah, because you you make a great point with with TikTok. The, it's all about the content first, whereas on other social media platforms, it's really about the creator first and and following certain people. Whereas TikTok doesn't really care. Like if, if the video is applicable to you know this demographic and this audience and their interests, they're going to show it to them. And discovery is so much easier on TikTok than it is really on any other channel, any other, any other social media platform. Um, now for, for when it comes to the creators and maybe it's in supply chain, maybe it's outside of supply chain. Are there any folks in, in the logistics space that you follow, um, on TikTok or any other social media platform that, that are inspiring to you and, and maybe has affected, you know, either positively or negatively what you're going to cover? Um, I have a horrible answer, which is I don't, <laughs> I don't follow any, like barely anyone on my Logistox account because I don't want it to create an algorithm for me. I don't, I, mm. I have a private account and that's the one that I scroll through. If I'm accidentally scrolling on my Logistox account, I'm like, ah, <laughs> and I move over <laughs> to my other one. <laughs> so I really, I only do it for external posting. I really don't want there to be something I don't want there to be more of a character behind it that can be looked into. Not that I'm like afraid of that or something. I just, it's really just there as an outlet for me again, for, uh, to develop, you know, how I communicate with others, how I learn different information, how then I can reproduce those conversations on behalf of clients, uh, you know, that are, they're happening in real time. So it, it's really just for me. Hmm. And so, I mean, I, I I love that approach because then you can kind of keep a little bit of your anonymity in, and I love like YouTubers, for example, they will, you know, certain YouTubers won't even put their face on, on camera. They'll have millions of subscribers, but they won't put their face on camera. So it's, it's an interesting approach to try to keep, you know, your, your social media, I guess, as targeted as possible. Um, but for, for other folks that, you know, maybe are, are wanting to get started with their journey, you know, creating content online, would you give any kind of, you know, a, advice to these folks who are maybe coming into brokerage, coming into sales and anything that they should know maybe before they get started with content or, or how they should get started with content? Um, I would just say be responsible, like with any sort of message, you know, if you're trying to come in as an authority figure or a subject matter expert, be responsible with the information that you deliver. Right. I mean, I would say I go through multiple sources before, you know, a lot of my posts aren't necessarily, some of them are just opinions and thoughts. Right. And those are really ever changing in transportation and logistics, considering the landscape over the past two years. Um, but I would say if you want to be a content creator, um, you also have to have a sense of responsibility, um, you know, just like Spider-Man with with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, what, what a perfect way to, to end this interview, because I think that that's uh, that everybody loves that quote. Everybody loves Spider-Man. So it's a great, great thought process in order to before you start your content journey to to recognize that you're putting your information out there for the world to see whether you like it or not. All right, Sarah, where can folks follow more of your work? Anything going on with NFI? Um, can they follow them on NF or, or TikTok? Uh, can they follow NFI on TikTok? All that good stuff. 
I mean, absolutely. I think NFI has two different uh, TikTok accounts, right? We've got one that's about our drivers, where our drivers are funneling the content, right? It's part of our engagement platform with with making sure that, right, we have our frontline workers uh, who are our most important asset, our people who are are really out there um, promoting our culture and, and life. And, and then we have a, I think there's another NFI account. I'd have to kind of confirm the, the name of it, but it's one just a, more about like, uh, on the other side of it, how are the office workers doing, et cetera. But for me, I really just, I only have Logistocs and then I have my LinkedIn that's connected to it. Everything, other, every other social media account I have is is just personal. Perfect. We will link to both of those in the show notes for your LinkedIn and TikTok as well as NFIs. Sarah, thank you so much for joining the show and, and, and keep up the great work because I, I love it. I get tons of value from it. So hopefully other folks will as well. Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me on the show and it was great to chat. Absolutely. We're going to have to do it again because you're, you're growing at a, a, at a rapid pace. So we'll, we'll bring you back on here in the future. Thank you again, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. Well, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, creating content online, um, you know, from the analytics approach and then also from the creative lens on, on how you can approach some of these newer, quote unquote, newer social media channels, even though TikTok has been around for a few years now. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit and get to cargo crime. And let's welcome in our next guest, Karen Stevens. She's the EVP, Chief Marketing and Product over at Overhaul. Welcome in, Karen. Hi there, Blythe. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining the show. Now, now for folks who who may not, you know, know about you, know about Overhaul, can you kind of give us a, a little bit of an elevator pitch on on how you came to work for Overhaul and how you got started in supply chain? Yeah, no, actually, I, I guess I could say I can have uh, have an unconventional start in supply chain as it relates to kind of the broader industry. My background is actually um, I started off in in digital advertising space, hmm. so working with large global organizations, some of which we work with today in a different capacity, on um, building out their go to market plans and then also doing the execution part, getting them into campaigns um, across the the world and in some cases um, more kind of specialized on on domestic use cases. Um, I spent the first 12 years of my career in that space and, and transitioned into overhaul. Actually, b- before we were even overhaul, at the time I was onboarded in a more of a marketing consultancy capacity to um, work with our founding team um, to build out the brand, develop our story, and then also ensure that we could onboard our first kind of angel investors into the into the program. So really I was responsible for our own go-to-market strategy in so many ways, but developing the brand identity um, on the outset. So th- that was the first, um, uh, you know, good chunk of my time at Overhaul, first year or so. Um, we actually have, over the course of the last two or th- well, three or four years, experienced some really rapid growth. Um, uh, when I started the, the organization, we were five individuals. And we're now up to 250. So it, we've, we've experienced some extreme growth in that time period. So I've served in different capacities across the operational side, working in account management, servicing our customers, and developing client strategies, um, as well as really helping hone our product and develop kind of a roadmap, um, which is, is, is in my current role where I'm focused today is really around our, our, our marketing, product marketing and, and product management plans. Now, with Overhaul, it, it, the, the company itself, it focuses on, you know, yes. supply chain, you know, uh, risk management and visibility. What is 
that exactly? Because I, I feel like I hear the word visibility a lot, but can you break that down of like what overhaul actually specializes in when it comes to visibility yeah. and risk management? So our mission is really to eliminate risk within the supply chain. And that's a big, <laughs> big wide range of things that we can do fundamentally. We focus on the logistics aspect, the in-transit piece of, of eliminating risk. So for us, that's about thinking about the, the Ds, the delays, the damage, the deviation. And actually, most recently, we, we, we've started to look at driver safety. I don't have a D for that. I guess the driver could work. But that's really focused around any kind of type of risk that can occur within um, in transit movement of product. Um, so for us, uh, where we plug in is we're a software company. Uh, we have um, a, a managed services layer that can also support certain customers that have kind of the um, the need for higher level of service around um, monitoring of goods. But our, our company is really focused on um, providing preventative solutions to customers um, across their kind of the range of different risk scenarios. So for some of our customers, they're really looking at logistics risk, on-time deliveries, and, and ensuring that things get to where they need to go on time. Um, other customers are really focused around security and integrity. The security aspects is the physical value of the goods, high-value goods, or it might be time and temperature-sensitive goods, which plays into the integrity aspect. So if you think about the most recent um, you know, focus around movement of vaccines and ensuring that they're within a certain temperature range, that's an area that we would look to focus as well. So for us, it's about prevention, thinking about the different things that you can put in place um, prior to the product departing from the origin point um, and, and ensuring the customer has the right access to visibility information along the way um, to be able to kind of respond if there is an incident. So it's the blend of prevention, being proactive, and then also having kind of the ability to react, which I think is a critical part because as you see, if you look across the kind of visibility space, um, being able to have data around where things are at and what condition they're in is one thing, but then also to be able to impact and correct um, mm -hmm. is the next level that we look to, to, to support our customers in. Now, when you talk about risk management and, and, and trying to prevent certain incidents from, from taking place, the, the, the biggest thing you're trying to prevent is, is cargo crime. So what happens right. during a situation where it's, is, is cargo crime being committed by like, uh, is certain government entities? Is it like a pirate thing? Is it like a cartel thing? Or is it just a regular Joe Schmo is just seeing an opportunity and, and, and stealing a truck? What does sort of cargo crime encompass? Well, I'll tell you, it's really varied. It's changed throughout the years. Cargo crime has been in existence for many years. And I'd say in the last 10 years, what we've seen is that cargo crime has become a lot more technological. Um, from fraudulent schemes utilizing internet load boards or fictitious carrier identities. That's where it starts. So if you think about a fictitious carrier, that's literally um, uh, having fictitious paper when the driver is going to pick up a load. So they can effectively move out of the distribution center with the load and disappear. Um, we're also we've also seen that there's other technologies that started to come into play, such as being able to um, uh, jam cellular or GPS devices so that even if there is connectivity to the shipment, um, that is uh, effectively jammed. That's on a global level that, that we see that quite often occur. And most recently in the last couple of years, that's something that we are seeing start to appear more often, even though jammers are um, uh 
not are effectively illegal within the US as well. So cargo crime can, can vary. There is the, uh, the 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 crime circles that exist, and I think some of the key areas. If we look at the US specifically, um, we, we see cargo crime circles within Atlanta. Memphis, um, Dallas, Fort Worth area, as well as in parts of Southern Southern California. Um, so those are, are, are well-orchestrated um, crime rings that have um, a certain modus operandi that they, they, they leverage within their approach. And then you have crime of opportunity, which is what you mentioned, which is really around um, what are kind of age-old saying as freight at, at rest is freight at risk. Um, mm. So, as you've seen in South Southern California, with some of the the delays, the the real delays, and you may have seen on the news most recently, um, in the coming out of kind of Port of Long Beach as well as LA, um, a lot of pilferage occurring on the rail lines. That's because there's freight, quite literally, sitting in containers on the rail. So, for us, those are crimes of opportunity that we can be prevented um, through use of technology like our our software to understand when these patterns are occurring and to be able to alert our customers as to um, some of the behaviors that are either contextualized around, hey, your freight stopped. We know this is a known crime area. We need to get it moving. Um, or some of the other um, things that we're seeing, such as we're, we're being alerted of um, uh, container doors opening up. And, and that's a, a, obviously a reactive measure where we'd have to take to, to be able to kind of um, instigate kind of law enforcement to get them out to um, potentially recover the freight at that point, which is which is something that we offer as a service as well. We do have um, our a digital method of connecting in with law enforce, enforcement. That's both on a on a domestic level level as well as available globally, hmm. and that allows us to send information uh, within seconds to law enforcement about. Um, theft that's currently in motion so that we can trigger them to get to the site and help us support in the recovery. Um, it's a critical part. Um, cargo crime, typically, uh, when you're, you're seeing it unfold, you only have a matter of minutes, if not maybe an hour, to be able to ensure that you can recover the loads. Um, so that is something that we really look to do in a, a very fast clip when it is occurring. So, yeah, you have these cargo crime rings as well as the, the, the crime of opportunity, so to speak, that occur within certain um, areas more often than not. So we, we know about them and we're we're always looking out for that. that that's super fascinating because so you're, you're almost you're trying to prevent it by these high impact cities and, and being almost like mm-hmm. on high alert. And then you have the connections for if something does happen, you know, you can you can alert exactly. the police you know, w- within a short amount of time. Is there any difference, I guess, in in the approach with the U.S. versus countries outside of the U.S. where folks may be using overhaul? Um, I would say that outside of the U.S., we've seen some interesting scenarios, actually. Um, more often than not, um, crime, cargo crime can be a lot more violent, hijackings, mm-hmm. even uh, worst case scenarios where, um, you know, there can be a result in death of the driver. Um, so a lot more extreme scenarios in parts of Latin America, specifically within Brazil, um, Colombia, Venezuela, which really in that case, preventative measures are pretty critical. Um, also in parts of Me- Mexico, we see this as well. I would say in that situation, um, we do have the ability to connect into other things, panic buttons within the cab itself, 
um, drivers are often equipped within their truck alerts, alert mechanisms to um, uh, trigger uh, an alert out to their their dispatch or their home base as well as ourselves around what's happening so that we can keep eyes on it. But again, it goes back to typically when it's at risk is when it's at risk. So if a driver gets out at a truck stop where they where there is kind of known um, criminal activity, um, that that is something that our system can kind of alert of and and help them get back on the road and into a safe location. Um, likewise, ensuring that there's um, they're in secure locked yards. And I say this loosely because, you know, a, a padlock on a gate isn't always going to do the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that we focus on. We do see globally, um, again, this idea of the kind of fake carrier, fictitious pickups, that's widely um, something that we see as a high risk in parts of um, Russia, but also more often starting to occur within other areas of Europe, um, uh, Belgium, um, and other parts of Central Europe, Netherlands and Spain as well. And we're starting to see that start start to trend in, in France. So those are areas that we look at. Um, and generally speaking, again, it goes back to ensuring that companies have um, the right procedures in place to, and, and working in collaboration with our logistics service providers to um, secure their secure their loads. And that, that's really what it's about. It's about making sure that everyone is working in orchestration to make this a successful journey for the driver, for, for the customer who's trying to get their products um, to the destination on time. Absolutely. Very well put. Now, now for, for folks who, who may be interested in learning more about overhaul and, and how they can prevent, you know, cargo mm-hmm. crime from happening in the future, where can folks follow more of, of overhaul's work and, and, and also your work as well? Yeah, so we actually have a fairly active LinkedIn. Um, I know I just wrote down TikTok <laughs> and, and my uh, participation. I'll put my hand up and say I'm not on TikTok, but I I, I will uh, I will definitely be looking into following. Be super here fascinating, <laughs> right? Um, so we actually have an intelligence and response team that's very active within our LinkedIn group. So um, if you want to follow on to our LinkedIn, feel free. We're just overhaul um, on, on LinkedIn. And that, that will give you some real time, real intelligence updates. We push them out, cargo crime alerts to our customers. We also have a, a newsletter that you can subscribe through our, our, our website, over-hall.com. Um, that newsletter, again, will we'll send out... Um, cargo crime alerts that can be very localized, very specific to certain markets as well as global trends. Um, We do a lot of work in that space. We collaborate a lot with law enforcement um, as well as other intelligence groups to really ensure that our customers have the most most up-to-date information in in that kind of realm. Well, that's awesome. I I appreciate all of this insight because I feel like this is a conversation that I could talk to you about for for a really long time. But we're kind of up against the clock here. I appreciate your time, Karen, and and I will put links in the show notes on where folks can follow more of your work and overhaul. This was super fascinating. So we'll have to have you back on again in the future. Yeah, I'd be be happy to join. Great to speak with you. Bye. Thank you. Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you so much. Uh, that is one topic. I mean, between it, cargo crime is one of those things that now, like you, once you hear about it, you start paying attention to to different, um, uh, I guess, police style shows. You know, NCIS. You know, things like that. Whenever they're investigating a crime, typically they are at a port or or in, you know trying to find a, a container that's been abandoned on the side of the road or something like that. So I I think that th- those kind of stories are more of like the super interesting parts of uh, surrounding freight. So as we kind of close out uh, this. 
this week's show, I did want to answer a couple different questions that were submitted in advance in order to, to help other marketers out there if they may be struggling or you may feel like you are stuck. And, and one of these questions um, that was submitted is essentially talking about differentiating yourself in a sea of companies doing almost exactly what you're doing. How does one really get attention in this space without being the cheapest or having the best in class or everything else under the sun? That was the question that was submitted because I, I love this perspective from uh, you know uh, the lens of a 3PL because I think that it is really challenging from a 3PL perspective in order to market yourself out there. So I, I, I think that this is one that requires much more of a deep dive on my part to find the companies that are doing things really well. But a few companies that that, that come to mind is uh, one cause in particular is championing championing causes within the industry. So Freightvana, they have a plant one tree for every load moved. Also Steam Logistics with their stand against non-competes with innoncompetes.com. So those are two brokerage or two 3PLs that, that come to mind um, whenever they're marketing themselves. They're not necessarily marketing the services, but they're championing other things that they deeply care about. And that's in turn getting them greater brand awareness on both of those companies. Um, I also think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the current brokers that are out there creating content as well. We heard from Sarah earlier when it comes to you know creating content, uh, Logistics over on TikTok. And then there's a few people that come to mind when it comes to making that broker content over on LinkedIn. Chris Jolly, of course, the freight coach, uh, Michael Nimi, um, Abby from Sage Freight. These are a few folks that come to mind that are out there promoting their company and talking about different issues that are within the industry. And I think that a lot of 3PLs can take a cue from the brokers that are already marketing themselves is that you can either empower your companies to create that content internally, or you can start using a few of their cues. What topics are they talking about? What topics are they covering? They're they're doing things like uh, they're sharing informative videos about the news, um, their opinions about industry news. Um, they're also recording a sales call. You don't have to when you record a sales call with a customer. You don't have to technically release you know the the customer's name or the person that you're on the call with or anything that they've said, but you can release what you've said during that call. So I think that that's another opportunity if your sales team feels comfortable, you know, in order of sharing that kind of information. So those are a few ideas that come to mind. And then the next question that was submitted is almost talking about creating content that doesn't suck. And I feel like I could do an entire show on this, but let's say that you've had an article or you've had a video that's done really well and it's bringing traffic and eyeballs to your website. What should you do next after you see that great content that's performing well? And the key is, is just linking in to other relatable content. So if one article in particular is doing really well, you want to make sure that you set up that pathway to conversion and give them other answers or uh, links to other articles that are related to that topic of how they entered into your website to begin with, or maybe they saw a video um, that you posted to LinkedIn or something like that. You want to create, if that's working well, then you want to see what other relatable topics within that space um, that you could continue to offer commentary on. So those are just a few ideas of the questions that were submitted. Um, of course, we have the future of supply chain that's less than a few weeks away, two weeks away, really. That's, I just booked my flight you know, a couple of weeks ago. Future of supply chain freight waves taking place May 9th through the 10th. I will see you guys all live and in person. I think we're actually going to do a live side really show while we're out there. But until then, we are live here every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can follow more of my work. My name, once again, is Blythe Brumley, and you can see all of my work over on everythingislogistics.com. It's a brand new domain name. So I will see you guys next week.